When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Once I figured that out, then Bill's parts sort of all lined up for me and they started to make sense. And I started working on them and I had to come to a place where I had to realize even after all that work, I'm still not Bill. And I I had to play the parts in a way that paid tribute to the parts, but I still was going to play them like I played them because it's me. Hello and welcome to the Adulting Well Podcast. I am your co-host, Pepper. As with me as always, Kevin McCracken. Kevin McCracken, how are you? And who's with us today? Brooks Harlan is with us. And I am very excited to actually meet him because we haven't met previously. Um, and talk to him about all of the... He's sort of a renaissance man, Brooks. He's got... Uh, not only is he writing music, he's producing for other people, as well as he's got... Looks like a, a repair shop for old amplifiers. So that's pretty incredible. And so welcome, Brooks. Thanks for coming on. Thank you on. for having me. Thanks for dealing with all my uh, technical difficulties this morning. <laughs> it's always it's... a battle. Brooks, <laughs> where did you um, grow up? Well, I was born in El Paso, Texas, um, and I grew up there, I guess you could say. I lived there till I was uh, just after my 18th birthday. I moved to go to college. So that's where I grew up. Were you doing a lot of music in when you were a kid and stuff? How did you uh, kind of get into this world? Yeah, um, I was always a musical kid. Uh, my family had a piano in the house that was sort of a family heirloom that uh, I guess my mom had also played on when she was young. So that was around the house, and I was always picking out tunes mm-hmm. on the piano. I took piano lessons in grade school. Um, and then I joined, uh, oh, school lucky. band, uh, in sixth grade. So you were a cool kid. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that would be cool, but, um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. So I, I played uh, French horn in school band starting in sixth grade. Um, so I, I've always been surrounded by music. My father was a, uh, uh, a singer. He did um, some opera singing. And so there was always music in the house. I was always drawn to music. And um, there was never really a question in my yeah. mind that I was going to do something involved um, that that involved music. Amazing. That's interesting to know that or have feel that kind of purpose at such a young age. I think a lot of people don't have any idea <laughs> what they want to do. I still don't have any idea what I want to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I, so Brooks, 
El Paso had were you did you get into the punk scene in El Paso? Were you were you playing in in punk bands there when you were a kid? Like how yes. did that come about? Um uh you know, starting like most kids my age, starting about 13 years old, uh we discovered skateboarding and BMX biking yeah. and through that we discovered punk bands um and you know uh i started playing guitar around then because it i already i already knew music so i just had to figure out how to sort of translate it to another instrument mm-hmm. um and uh my best friend that i grew up with uh jim ward who went on to be in at the drive-in and sparta and mm-hmm etc. Sure. Um he and I s- sort of picked up guitar. He played bass cuz his father had a bass guitar around and we started writing songs at probably 13 or 14. Wow. Oh, wow. When when did you actually start playing live? Like when did that that <laughs> step? Um probably and unfortunately around <laughs> that same time. Uh it, you know, El Paso is a pretty small city and any scene there is pretty small, but especially like kids that were into the music we were into. Uh, So it was pretty easy to get a show. Um, And El Paso is a pretty temperate climate. Right. It's pretty warm most of the time. So uh, there's a lot of outdoor shows. Kids have shows in their backyard. So, you know, it's easy to ask your buddy if you can play the show and just show up and, and just jump on stage. Uh, that's kind of when I started playing. Playing rock. so it's like a just a thriving little local scene. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's booking everybody. Everybody definitely knew everybody. And what was great is that you know every band was a little different. You know there was there was the band that sounded like the Misfits, and there was the band that sounded like mm-hmm. the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and there was the band um, <laughs> that sounded like Crass. And sure, but they would sure. all play shows together, and it was great, you know. So I, mm-hmm. I, I sort of, and to this day, I enjoy shows where the bands are varied, and you, your ears don't get tired of, you know, twelve bands that sound like the headliner. Yeah, that's a. It's always good to have a mix. Mm-hmm. I've feel like I played a show in El Paso in like 1991 or 92 at the college there, uh, an outdoor show. And I know mm. I was like, that was the mm-hmm. only place that we could play. Cause we didn't, we, or somebody's backyard because that band only played all ages shows, but we, we played like right in the, in the middle of the, like whatever the quad area or whatever they called it, the outdoor sort of like student. I was in the band engage. I don't know Do you who, remember who you played, played with. Um, yeah, but it was it, there was actually a fair amount of kids there. It was like a really good show. They all bought seven mm. inches and T-shirts, and it kind of fueled us to our next stop, which was Dallas. You know, like the kids <laughs> were into it, and it, we weren't like the most accessible band either. Yeah, well, that was that was um, that's why. I mean, just like you said, you were on your way to Dallas, right? So El Paso. Um, got a lot of bands that were either on their way to LA one direction or on their way to Dallas the other yeah. direction. And that really formed 
the type of scene that we had there. So there were a lot of um, discord bands that came mm-hmm. through from the East. There were a lot of like Southern California bands that came through from the West. And so, you know, we saw a surprisingly uh, high caliber of shows because of the location of El Paso. And so the scene wasn't very large as far as number of kids, but the shows that we got were pretty great. And, and that's, you know, the, the few bands that came out of El Paso, it's pretty, pretty evident, like what their influences were. And, um, and yeah, it's because of its location. And I didn't really realize how unique that was Hmm. until I was out of that uh, environment and sort of look back on it. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it, it's kind of like how we, we were both, both Pepper and I are from Sonoma County out here and we had the Phoenix theater in Petaluma and we were kind of the middle spot between people going to Gilman street and then Oregon or Humboldt, right? Like, okay, we're going to play one more show in the Bay area ish mm-hmm. and it's going to be at the Phoenix theater. So we got, you know, we had Fugazi play there. We had, you know, green day when they were kind of coming up, play there a ton of times i mean every weekend yeah pretty much but it was you know it it was like that was because we were in that proximity to the bay area but we it was far enough away that they could get a different crowd right um yeah you know what stiff feels different about it to me kevin and i don't know if it is or not is uh our scene was very connected to other scenes yeah it felt very connected to the East Bay mostly, but also Chicago and some other places. And I wonder, Brooks, if your scene felt connected to other scenes or it just felt like its own thing. Uh, hmm. I don't know. Um, you know, El Paso is very mm-hmm. isolated. Um, you know, the the closest sort of bigger ish city is Albuquerque and that's a five, six hour drive. Right. Um, Lubbock where I went to college is a six hour drive. Dallas is much further than that. Um, So I think the scene, the scene had its own flavor because of, like I said, the types of different bands that would come through and those sort of got mixed up in a weird pot of, the the unique mm-hmm. culture that is El Paso, which is very border town, um, you know Juarez, which is right mm-hmm. across the border, and El Paso are basically one big city separated right. by an international border, and so you throw that in the mix, and there was sort of the the gang culture of like um, you know the the sort of lower income areas of the town that was also mixed up in the scene. So there were like skater gangs and um, it, it was a, it Mm -hmm. was really unique. And um, but I also feel like because of who we were all influenced by, I think we, we really had some talented people come out of that scene and sort of the, the friendships that I had there, have lasted to this day for the most part. Um, amazing. And, amazing. Uh, and then you left. Yeah. <laughs> to go to college. <laughs> and then so, I left. so where did you go to college? Where did you move on to? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I think like, like most young people, I needed to spread my wings and 
I definitely didn't appreciate El Paso when I was there because it represented me being young and I wanted to go do my own thing. Um, so I went to, uh, I went to music school at Texas Tech University. Uh, I studied theory and composition. Um, so I was there for four years. Uh, I got my degree. Um, and that's, yeah, that's when I left. And that was, I graduated in, uh, 1994. Mm-hmm. Were you playing in bands in college or just doing college? <clears throat> yeah. So I, I, I sort of had this parallel track or I guess parallel tracks of, uh, my music education, uh, my punk rock life, and then sort of my technical engineering life, which was also sort of happening at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was a busy kid. I didn't sleep a lot. <laughs> it sounds like it. That's yeah, that's incredible. I mean, that just like it it feels like such a punk rock story too cuz it feels so like organic and kind of your, you know, you kind of you just kind of like you created your own path with all of it. And <laughs> what so what what kind of after after you were done with um with Texas Tech, where what was your next stop? Where did you go? So, um <clears throat> Well, um, at that point I was married. Uh, I got married in college. Okay. Pretty young. Aww. Uh, I lived in, uh, I lived in North Texas for like a year and a half after that. Cause I wasn't really sure. I sort of half heartedly applied to grad schools, but I didn't, I didn't really have the passion to continue my education at that point. And I was in some touring a, a touring band at that time. And I kind of wanted to give it a shot right after college. So I sort of went to a place where my, where my then wife's family lived so that when I was gone, she wasn't like alone basically. Mm, sure. Um, and so then pretty, pretty quickly after, I think it was there for a year and a half, maybe almost two years uh moved to Baltimore at that point and that okay. was in uh early early 2000 what's baltimore like uh baltimore's great <laughs> um is that where you still are baltimore baltimore has four seasons which i enjoy um mm-hmm. baltimore actually baltimore it it's weird to say this but the things that i liked about el paso um Baltimore sort of has that, but wrapped in um, a coating of East Coast city, right? So mm-hmm. the scene is actually not that big. Um, everybody knows everybody, um, but it's the it's the southernmost East Coast city that still has sort of that classic East Coast downtown, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. you see in yep. Philly and Boston and New York. And oh yeah, yeah, magical. Um, I love I love I love that stuff, and I've yeah. like uh, one of the reasons I left Texas is because, well, quite a few reasons, but I just really liked this mid Atlantic area. When I was touring around the country, I would I would always really enjoy being in this area, and so it just it just drew me in. Um, and I've, you know, I've been here longer than anywhere now. Uh, 
if I if I moved here in 2000, then that's 23 years ago. Oh wow! It feels very much like home, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I pretty quickly uh, got a live sound gig. I do front of house engineering, and you know, I worked at a club here for nine, almost almost 20 years straight as the house wow. sound engineer. That's um. That is awesome. That's, I never hear Baltimore. Feel pretty comfortable here. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, yeah. and having the same pl- like, and I, 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 I would guess that they understand that you're also a touring musician, so they allow you that that uh, that uh, sort of freedom to do what you need to do for yourself too. I mean, one of my close friends is front of house, uh, one of the lead engineers at Bottom of the Hill here in San Francisco. And he does, he runs like a dog rescue as well. And they, he, so he makes the schedule so he's, he can give him what himself, whatever schedules he, he needs. And they're super flexible about it. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's, <clears throat> I mean, you know, most of the time I was working there, there was like me and two or three other people that would rotate and we were all involved in, uh, playing music, touring as musicians, touring as sound people, touring as, as backline technicians. So it's sort of, uh, it's sort of understood that that's part of your life and your job. And, yeah. um, yeah, I would expect that's a huge benefit too, for the, um, for the club, having somebody that actually tours and is like very, probably very picky about sound. Yeah, um, that's true. Uh, I think, you know, with live sound, really, it's it's experience. And, um, uh, you know, after working in that same room for so long, it just became second nature. And, um, and yeah, I guess, I guess touring, too, getting to hear different rooms, different systems helps. Um, Yes, yeah. I'm gonna agree. This with may you. be. I don't know if it is beneficial. I don't want to put you in the spot, <laughs> so don't answer this if you can't think of something. But is there something you would have told yourself on your first day doing that, like a trick or or something that would have saved you a lot of time with with live sound at, that you've learned over the years? <laughs> huh. Um, <clears throat> I think the trick is that as long as everyone can hear the vocals then don't worry about don't don't get bogged down in like oh what's my compression ratio on the kick drum like like nobody actually cares about that what they care about is can they hear the guy singing their favorite song and if you got that going then you can work on everything else as the show progresses and you're going to be okay awesome thanks that is awesome so <laughs> so you know, you, you, I mean, you have an extensive kind of, um, resume when it comes to playing in bands, but let's, let's talk about some of the ones that you're like still playing in and more and been more focused on. And, um, mo- mo- most specifically okay. war on women. Um, I'd love to hear sort of the backstory on how you all got together. I mean, and just in all, you know, in transparency, I've seen you play live. I've also seen you play in Jawbox, Um, and you know, war on women is, a pretty lively um lively live show i mean you guys are <laughs> you guys rock i mean it's like no joke and 
And I, you know, I say that without any bit of like irony. I mean, it's an incredibly energetic live show. And I'd love to just kind of hear how you all kind of came together. I know there's been some membership changes over the years, but it seems like it's been pretty solid the last few. So, yeah, well, thank you. I, I, uh, our goal is to rock. So I appreciate the uh, compliment. Um, so yeah, Warren women, um, is it's, it's a band that I think the, we first started writing songs for that band in 2010. So it's now a 13 year old project, which is pretty wild to say out loud. Um, and it sort of came from, so Shauna, the singer and I were in a band previous, um, that was called Avec and it was very of the, of the two thousands. It was like indie rock with very poetic veiled lyrics and, um, and we did that whole thing and we toured in that band for years and, tried everything we could to make anybody care about us and they didn't. And that's fine. Um, I'm, I'm proud of those records. And, um, we were just looking for something that was, um, a little more raw and a little more in your face. And Shauna at the time was really coming into her own as an activist and as a feminist and, um, I was sort of realizing that I was good enough at guitar that I could actually play songs that I would have liked to play when I was in high school. Oh, cool. (laughs) And so, um, you know, um, so when I was in high school, I was really into, you know, um, early high school was like metal stuff, Slayer, Metallica, and, you know, through skateboarding, I got into Misfits and Minor Threat and Bad Brains. And yeah. to this day, I still love those bands. And if you listen to War on Women riffs, like, it's very apparent that all the bands I just mentioned are influential on my guitar playing. Um, and so... I was like, let's, let's write, let's, let's just write some songs, like just throw some stuff out there. And before we knew it, we got invited to play our friend Dana's birthday party. And so we sort of filled out the band with drummer, bass player. And then that was our, that was our goal, right? To play this birthday party. (laughs) So if that's your goal as a band, anything on top of that just seems like, an incredible bonus. Um, (laughs) So starting from there, we just kept getting show offers and tour offers and offers to put out records. And so it was great. um, But it was also ironic because we had worked so hard at our previous band for nothing. And this band war on women that we kind of threw together was getting all these opportunities. (laughs) Um, but, but then at some point you realize, well, you know, we're, we're actually, we actually are working on this band and, yeah. you know, we actually did put a lot into writing these songs and, um, Is this you a know, sunken we, that ca- band has just been very, would you describe it as like a sunk, very fortunate artistic sunken cost fallacy? Cause I've found like when I work hardest on songs, they're like not as good as the ones that just like, you know, come from the sky. Ooh, see, <laughs> And I don't want to let go of them because I work so hard on them. I don't know. I, you know, I, I think there's a balance. 
Um, and if you listen to a War on Women record, you definitely hear the songs that we threw together in 10 minutes in the rehearsal space. And you definitely can hear the songs that took me two months to piece together. Um, sure. Sure. So, um, so that's kind of the story of the band. You know, we have uh, an EP 10 inch out and three full links, and we are currently writing the next full length. Yay. That's bananas. <laughs> so how long have you guys been together now? What's the, what's the history? Like what's the, the uh, yeah. Now? So we started in 2010. So we've been a band for 13 years. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. yeah, it's been a very fortunate 13 years and, um, yes, we've had some member changes because we we're, <laughs> we're adults and trying to be in a touring band and it's hard. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a yeah. lot of work. Yeah. That's why I don't, 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 I, I, I gave up that part of my life cause I'm doing other stuff. That's, I wouldn't say more fulfilling, but it's more in line with my, um, personal life. You know, <laughs> yeah. I hear that. And, and I, and to be and, quite frank, I thought I had given that up too. like my, <laughs> my, the previous band to Warren women of Vec, we were sort of burned out on the whole thing. We were burned out on touring. We were burned out on dealing with record labels and promoters and all that crap. And so, um, you know, around two, 2010, I was kind of like, okay, like it's time to, it's time to transition into my stay at home adult life and, I was fine with that. Um, yeah. yeah. So like I said, everything has been a surprise and an, and icing on the cake for that band. That's amazing. Well, the, so talking about personal life. So what, what is your sort of like, what does a day look like in your life when you're home? Like, what do you like? I know you, you, you do live sound. looks like you've got this like repair business as well. How, how, what do you, other than rehearsing, what are you doing at home or practicing as Mike Watt likes to say? Yeah. Well, so my current my current life. So I've I've stepped away from uh sound engineering okay. quite a bit. Um because my uh well, two reasons. Uh we had I don't know if you've heard about this global pandemic that happened. <laughs> but uh wait a minute. That was that was tough on the live sound mm-hmm. and live music industry. Um but also around that time I sort of made a decision to devote more time to the repair shop because it was getting sort of out of control, busy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I did have some employees and one of them moved. And then due to the pandemic, I had to sort of uh, slim down the staff because I couldn't pay anyone. Sure. So, um, <clears throat> so now my typical day is um, – I will wake up, uh, try and do something physical. I'll go to the gym, go for a jog. Um, it's kind of a thing I've found necessary to sort of uh, stabilize my mental, mm-hmm. um, st- stabilize my the state of my mind. Um, then I'll go into the shop, work all day, um, come home, work on music, uh, watch something cool on tv and then go to bed <laughs> what are we watching yeah. oh well i just finished a really great show uh it's a korean 
um, I guess you would call it a game show, but it's a physical 100 where they get 100 really strong people and make them compete against each other. And people slowly get eliminated until they're down to one person who's like has the best physique in Korea. It was it was an incredible show. I'm actually watching it again. Whoa. Wow. I, I, I think that is it on Netflix because I think it popped up on my on, I think so, yeah. Something you it. might like kind of list. It is on it is on Netflix, yeah. This is what this is what the show is really about. Mm-hmm. Nice. This is what the podcast is yeah. really about. <laughs> like what are you doing um, now? It made um, me f- it's all about what time do you wake up and what are you watching? <laughs> it made me feel really out of shape. <laughs> um, but the 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 spirit of the show is just fantastic. Um so you're recording or you're you're writing music right now? For uh, War on Women, yeah. For for War on Women, we are in the process of we are in the process of writing the next full length record. Do you bring a a song in? Oh, we know. Yeah, I guess you already described how it works. I was wow. going to ask if if you show up with a song and kind of learn it together, uh, like that style. Uh, most often, um, yeah. it depends. Um, it depends. Like sometimes, sometimes I'll have a song just finished, sure. like top to bottom, and I'll bring it in, and you know we'll work on it as a band and maybe work on transitions or lengthen the part or shorten the part uh, as needed. Um, other times we'll just, um, you know, mm-hmm. somebody will have will. Uh, somebody will have a drum fill idea and then that will spring into a whole song in, in rehearsal. Um, so I wouldn't say there's one set. Sure. I was just going to ask, do you write your songs on an electric guitar or acoustic guitar? Uh, I would say 90% of the time I write it on electric guitar, knowing that it will eventually be played on electric guitar. Um, right, any right. songs I've written on acoustic are simply by accident just cause I happen to have an acoustic and then I come up with an idea, mm-hmm. um, and think, well, mm-hmm. that might, that might sound good for war on women. Um, but, uh, I, I've had bad luck trying to write and I actually write on a guitar that's plugged into some sort of amplifier, amplifier simulator. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, for yeah. the reason, like I said, you know. I know that eventually it will be performed on an electric guitar mm-hmm. and I've, I've had bad experience of writing on a guitar that isn't plugged in and I think it sounds great. And then I'll go and plug in my amp and it's mushy or, sure. you know, for, for whatever reason, like I've put too many notes in the chord and uh-huh. it's confusing. So. All right. Can I ask you one more songwriting question? That's kind of how I try to write. <laughs> of course. Uh, do you tend to write songs in the same key that to help the vocals? Like if you know the vocals <laughs> tend to be better in one key, do you stick to that key or do you shift around? Mm. Interesting question. So uh, historically in War and Women, I would say no. Um, hmm. And I try and make a, because I'm, I'm a, you know, because I, I I'm a th- music theory nerd. I try and I try and vary the keys that mm-hmm. Warren Women songs are in, so it doesn't sound so static. Mm-hmm. Um, and I go through phases of like sometimes I really like 
C sharp minor, and sometimes I really like, you know, F Phrygian or whatever, and I'll try mm-hmm. and write a set of songs in in that mode. Um, but I will say on this record, um, the thing that we're doing slightly different is um, Shauna is actually coming in with more vocal ideas earlier on in the songwriting process. So we're able to take the songs and sort mm-hmm. of twist them or mold them around the vocal ideas more than we have in the past. And so mm-hmm. um, I yeah, think yeah. I think that's going to be, I think this record is going to be different in that way where it's a little more um, vocally and lyrically driven versus our previous records where it's just kind of like, here's a riff and here's Shauna mm-hmm. singing over that riff, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. That's very exciting. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, me too. That sounds awesome. Me too. Um, Kevin, I think we got to wrap pretty we, soon. Pretty soon. I do want to get into, um, I mean, I you know, and I'll just another just quick. I have like a couple posters from the shows you guys played um, with Jawbreaker because at the time I was doing I was doing their merch still. And um, cool. There's some of my if, uh, Garage Land put them together. There's some of my favorite like band posters that I don't really hang band posters that much anymore because my wife's not too keen on me, you know, doing that. But, um, <laughs> um, but I, they're just beautifully printed and just really cool, um, designs. So I just, I couldn't help it as an old screen printer. Yeah. I remember there. those posters. They're great. Got, got to keep one of these, you know? Um, so how did the, the job box thing come together? Well, I mean, I know how it happened as far as them and, and, you know, the parting of ways, <clears throat> Um, but mm-hmm. how did you end up kind of, kind of coming into the band and what, what's that been like playing with, with them? I mean, it's right. Um, you know, well, I'll, I'll try and be brief. Uh, so, yeah. So, you know, I, so I've known Jay, um, for quite a while. Most, most of the time I've lived in Baltimore, I knew Jay and, uh, and we we sort of ran into each other at shows and we were both recording engineers and um he and I have just always got along well and I feel like we have similar sensibilities and similar tastes. Yeah. And so, you know, I played in um I played bass in the band Office of Future Plans with him and I'm currently still in the Jay Robbins band playing bass. So he have an, he and I have collaborated quite a bit. I also um, did a tour and a few shows with the Jay Robbins acoustic where I played, I played a keyboard and a baritone guitar, which was fun. Oh, so nice. I'm always, you know, I'm always like, whatever, whatever you need me to fill in on Jay, I'm, I'm here. I've, I've been a Jay Robbins slash Jawbox fan for a long time. Like a lot of people, my age in the scene, uh, and you know they were they, to be honest jawbox was a band that i heard at a time when i was mostly into just hardcore music and as someone who was a fan of classical music and jazz i could hear other stuff happening mm. in the music that was sort of being injected mm-hmm. under the umbrella of like dc hardcore punk whatever you want to call that era of like late eighties, early nineties discord music. And so Jawbox quickly rose to the top of my favorite bands from, 
from the Discord catalog. Um, so, uh, yeah, when uh, I guess when Bill decided to leave the band, um, it was funny. Jay sort of casually asked me if I would be interested. Um, and so I casually tried to reply, <laughs> yes, I'm interested. And, um, and so, yeah, so then I started, um, I started working on the songs for basically the, the idea was that Jawbox had committed to a certain amount of shows that were interrupted by the pandemic. So post pandemic, they were going to fulfill those commitments and I was right. going to, uh, fill in for Bill on guitar, and so I needed to learn uh, learn mm-hmm. the songs to play, and that was that was my initial goal. Um, yeah. Is that hard? So that's how it happened. Amazing. Was it hard? Because I <laughs> well, um, you can't like just Google the chord. <laughs> I'll say, ex- yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so. I'll say first off, um, Bill Barbeau was very gracious and very friendly. And I sort of, I sent him a message right off the bat and just was like, uh, you know, basically it's a real honor to learn these parts and play these parts that were written by you. And he got, you know, he got back to me and he was like, seemed happy for me and he was giving me his blessing to continue. And that was a really good feeling. And it was really important to me to know that. Um, Mm -hmm. So I started working on the songs and I immediately found out that um, I think all the Jawbox guitar parts that I had been drawn to were more the Jay Robbins guitar parts. (laughs) And so listening to Bill's parts, I, I realized that he and I are, are, very different players, like the the way he approaches guitar or the voicings of the chords or even the way he grabs the neck is just different than me. So mm-hmm. the first thing mm-hmm. I had to do is sort of crack the code of how Bill approached guitar. Mm-hmm. And I tried my best to sort of get in that mindset. And, and then once I sort of figured out that um, and sort of learned the little... I mean, when I say guitar tricks, I'm not by any means putting down Bill's guitar playing. Every guitar oh, player yeah, has a guitar trick that they use. Yeah, yeah. And so mm-hmm. once I once I figured that out, then Bill's parts sort of all lined up for me and they started to make sense. And I started working on them and I had to come to a place where I had to realize even after all that work, I'm still not Bill. And I I had to play the parts in a way that paid tribute to the parts, but I still was going to play them like I played them because it's me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so once I got to that point, uh, then I really got to work. And, you know, I had to learn about, th- I think eventually I learned 33, three or 34 songs uh, pretty quickly. And, um, wow. And I I had to come up with a way of like quickly notating them because I was learning a song and how to play it. 
And then I had to move on to another song. So I had to come up with a way to quickly mm-hmm. notate it so I could come back to it mm-hmm. and remember how I learned it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm. <laughs> so that was kind of how I approached it. And then once we got closer to some event, like, okay, we're going to do these Jawbreaker shows on the West Coast. These are the songs that are going to be in rotation. Then I could work... Um, then I could put more work into the ones that would be in that set list or in that mm-hmm. group of songs. And that's kind of how it went. And then on top of that, I realized I had to actually sing Bill's <laughs> vocals on songs. And that was actually the most, the thing that I was, um, that I had the most anxiety about because yeah, even more so my voice doesn't sound like bill and i don't really consider myself a very good singer and or a very good at remembering lyrics like (laughs) (laughs) so that that was the thing i had to work the most on and the way i did that is when war on women in the the fall of 20 the fall of 2021 we did a a five week tour with a uh, bad religion and alkaline trio. And I did a lot of the driving on that record. I mean, on that, on that tour. And so I would, um, just play the Jawbox songs. Mm. I, I was up in the cab of this bandwagon we took on tour and I would just play the songs and just sing all the backup parts to all the songs, go through the whole oh, wow. playlist and then start it over. So I did five weeks of rehearsing, and that finally wow. got me ready to do all that. So, um, <laughs> that's incredible. Uh, that's, wow. that's, well, good that's job. how I, that's how I prepared. Um, you did, you did great. Thank you. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I, the Fillmore shows were incredible. I was at, I think all of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, I. You guys sounded great. Let me ask too. I'm a drummer. I remember those shows. I felt good about those shows. They sounded fantastic. I mean, I did the wander around. I was just to kind of hear how the sound was in different parts of the venue. And you you guys sounded incredible. I had seen Jawbox a number of times, like going back to the original, you know, before they took their extended break before you guys, you know, before you guys got together. And it was, it just sounded great. It was, it was a very, in fact, the whole energy of those shows was really good all the way around. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the Fillmore is one of those places. If you're not really bringing it, it, they'll the you know the crowd there will be very quiet. You know, so it's it was it was <laughs> awesome. It was just a, it yeah. was a really fun the, few nights. Uh, so the great, I mean, so Team Dresh opened those shows, and um, yes, they're one of my favorite bands. And the fact that just getting to see them play is always a treat. But the fact that I got to know them and it was just like, that was the highlight of my year. I mean, I loved playing in Jawbox. <laughs> I loved seeing Jawbreaker, but just hanging out with the team Dresh people and seeing them play, that was like, yeah, that were, was such a treat for me. They were incredible too. I mean, the, they just sounded great. It was a, it was a real, I, the whole, the whole show was just really, it was, it was just a great. The, Those were special the, the nights. Energy. It was like the greatest show of 1997. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I think everybody's improved since then. What's it like to be on stage with Zach as well? I mean, he's just, he's insane. The, his um, I, I'll you know, 
Zach, as you know, is a very unique drummer. Yeah. And um, uh, I I really enjoy playing with Zach because he, he really – he brings a lot of energy and – I was unsure about I was a little unsure about getting used to his style uh because that's the way it is with drummers and every drummer I've played with is slightly different and it takes you a minute to to sort of lock in but but with Zach he for some reason I'm able to read his body language really well and so just from right away like first rehearsal I was like oh like th- this is how it's going to be and I, I never thought about it again. Um, nice. I feel like he has a good way of like, like I, he has a good way of leading you to where you're going mm-hmm. and it might be different from night to night, but you still feel comfortable. Like, you know, what's happening, mm-hmm. um, right. which is great. Like a conductor. Yeah. Yep. So um, we are yeah. uh, running out of time here. Brooks, but I, I have to say it was a pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to the new War on Women record. It just sounds like the writing process is just in a really unique place, <laughs> and uh, you know, and just taking the time well, thank and with you. all the thank you so much for having me. Us. Yeah, and so we're we're we just released <laughs> Jay's episode today, and so we will have we'll probably try to get this edited and up next week actually so that we just complete the job box series um all at once so i'll send you some social media stuff and and um just things that you can use but um let us know too um you know if you have any questions about about the interview but i really appreciate having you on yeah thanks so much and thanks. oh well uh it's n- yeah it's no problem i uh i um i'm happy to do it and i appreciate your questions and and um, I uh, I apologize if the technical issues were on my end, but uh, but I everything's think, gonna sound. I great. think you should have so. something in there you can salvage. It's gonna be fantastic. And thank you everybody <laughs> for listening. We will see you next week. Got-